something that we have within us. It's something that God gives to us. The Apostle Paul, prior to his conversion, was anything but what we're going to read him tonight. He was anything but less than rude and boastful. He was an arrogant, self-righteous human individual that when he was converted, it changed him, body, soul, and mind from the inside out. And he's writing from a perspective of a man himself who has been changed by nothing less than the love of Jesus Christ. By faith in Christ, he changed from the inside out. So what we're going to read and what we're going to examine today, what we're going to analyze, understand something. This is what happens under a genuine conversion. It happened to my life. It happened to my wife's life. It happened to John, my sister-in-law, and everybody else I know in this room that's a member who, who knows Jesus Christ. Things change from the inside out. So as the Word of God holds out the truth to us today, Let's take an inventory of what's taking place in our own hearts, as Marty was saying. Let God do a great, deep inner work. Make notes of things that still have to change, and possibly, if you're bold enough, to ask someone to pray with you during the week and say, you know something, the sermon really touched my heart, and I need strength in A, B, C, or I need strength in all these areas. And let's pray one for another so that we do change. How many people really want to change? I still want to change. God has done a great work, but I want God to do a deeper work. Yes. Yes. Life is about people. Make no mistake. He who has many friends is rich in life. It's about other people. Let's open up to the Word of God. First Corinthians, I'm going to start in verse chapter 12, Jackie, that last part. John Paul, you there? Okay. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, Paul says, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies... They will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, they will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Father, we thank you for your word, God. Help us to mature, to be a mature man, a mature woman. Help us to put our childish, rude, boastful, arrogant, envious ways behind us, God. Help us to grow in this perfect love that Jesus Christ shows us when he died on Calvary for all our sins, Father God. And he gives us new life. He gives us forgiveness of all our transgressions, Father God. He now gives us hope. He gives us faith, Father. And let us touch and live in this most excellent way of love, Father God. Help us in our endeavor to be like our Savior. In Jesus' precious name, amen.
Last week I had to speak about the historical perspective on this text, so you get a little background to what's going on. I'm just going to do a fast review today. Paul is writing to a church he founded. He went to a place called Corinth, as I shared last week. It was a seafaring town. It was, it was hedonism all the way. And here Paul goes and he starts telling people about Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, people from the worst backgrounds start giving their life to Christ. The church starts. Prior to Paul coming, there might have been a couple of synagogues. But that's basically all. These people never heard about the love of Jesus Christ. They never knew there was a morally right way to please God. And all of a sudden, people start coming. The church starts forms. We don't know how many people there were. It was probably two or three times size to this. And, and here we are. We have a bunch of people coming together, young converts in the faith. And for a year and a half, Paul taught them how to live. But Paul, being the missionary and the apostle he was, he had to leave and he left them there with some leadership. And a letter comes to Paul saying, the church is gifted. They got power to heal. They're speaking mysteries. They have faith. But they're a mess, Paul. There's infighting. There's sexual sin. There's lawsuits among each other. They're fighting who's the best. They're fighting over the gifts. You have to do something. So he writes 1 Corinthians and he addresses certain issues in the first 11 chapters. In the 12th chapter, he speaks about all the spiritual gifts God left this church. And then in chapter 13, he's like uh, a referee between two heavyweight fighters recalibrating and reminding them there's a right way of living the Christian life. There's a right way to run a church. And they are not doing it the right way. They're doing it the wrong way. And he reminds them of the more excellent way of life that pleases God. So that brings us up to date to where we are over here. This church was rich and gifted. But it was very shy in character. Very shy. They had no depth of character whatsoever. They were a mob. It was a mob church. And love is held out as having purpose, not just in this world, but in the next world. Everything else in life will end. We can't take nothing to heaven with us. You can't take your gifts, you can't take your talents, you can't take your possessions. You can take nothing. There's one thing we stand before God with. That's our character. That's all. That's all I can say. God, this is, you touched my life when I was 30 years old. I gave my life to you. And this is, what, this is what I have to offer you now. I have nothing to offer you but the love you put in my heart. That is it. We happen to live in a world that speaks much about love today. But the love we find in Scripture, the love we find in this chapter is of a different quality. It's a quality all its own. It's not the quality we see in, this, in, in the world today. It's not sentimental. The love we're talking about, the word, the Greek word used as agape, has nothing to do with feelings. It's not sentimental. It's not sensual. On the contrary, this love is of the will and of the mind. Not the emotion. The emotion can be attached, but it's not driven by feelings. It's driven by what's right in God's eyes. It is a choice to do this. The mind of a Christian has learned what pleases God. And it's the inner attitudes of the heart that please God. It's hard to believe when I first got saved, I thought God was going to judge everything we did. All that I went to church... I went to church maybe almost, probably about four times a year I went to church. I thought that was going to get me into heaven. And I realized what God's concerned about is not what we do, but how we think on the inside. It is all about the inner attitudes. This is what pleases God. The mind of the Christian has learned what pleases God and its inner attitudes that pleases God. And he or she obeys God on the inside. These attitudes that we're talking about here are hidden from the rest of the world. They're hidden from other men. Human beings don't know what makes us tick. Why 
do I do the things I do? Why do I treat people the way I treat people? It's because God has touched our hearts. The world does not understand this kind of obedient exercise of love. This will to actually care for someone and, and to help someone and to be kind to someone and to be compassionate to a human being that wants nothing to do with us. is even mean-spirited and malicious and slanderous, but yet will still hold out the olive branch of friendship. They don't understand that. The world does. That's what God did to us through Jesus Christ. That's right. This love, Paul says in verse 8, never ends. Some translations use never fails. And I like that because it gets to the point. The Christian woman and the Christian man that exercises this love never, ever fails. So many times a young Christian will tell me, Brian, I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying, I'm trying, but I see nothing happening. I said, are you loving them because God loves you? And they say, yes. Are you being forgiven then? Yes, I am. I said, it never fails. Even if you don't see it now, your actions of love never fail. They will have a dividend to it, whether you see it in this life or the next life. Love never, ever fails. This kind of love has the potential to change our lives from the inside out. And actually, actually, the, the, the potential to change not just other people, but circumstances. And we're going to look at that tonight. Last week, we looked at verse 4, where love is patient and love is kind. <clears throat> and patient is that quality of disposition that does not become offended so easily when they're wronged by another human being. Through word, or deed, or action... You're just not easily offended. You know, you take it in stride. You think about the big picture all the time. You don't get caught up emotionally in being wrong. It's not the drama of the day. I have to let you know what happened to me. You should go through life and and not have to say anything to anybody. Because you're so filled with the love of God, you really don't care what people do to you. So this patience, this quality of disposition that does not become offended when wrong, but actually, on the contrary, continues to show kindness to the offender. It's not just being patient. I'll be patient. They'll get theirs one day. This is actually showing kindness to the actual offender. That's what Paul's talking about. And so, before we think about, you know, outside the church, remember something. This is written to a bunch of Christians, how we ought to live together. But it's a principle we take outside the church, too. I take this in all my affairs. These two qualities are found in God. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, we spoke about it last week. I do want to speak on it again. Do we have that Romans 2? Okay. Or do you pursue on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to do what? You see, what Paul is saying here is that when we sin, God doesn't come and beat us over the head. He's being patient with us. He's being kind because he wants us to come into a relationship with us. He desires for us, he desires to forgive us. He desires us to know his forgiveness, his mercy, his grace, to know his love. And it's all this patience God shows with us is leading us to eventually come to Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me of all my wrongs. I've had my aha moment. I need you in my life. I know I'm just another garden variety sinner down here on earth who has a very high opinion of himself, but really I'm really nothing in your eyes, but I know you genuinely love me. I accept what Christ has done on the cross. My sins are all atoned for. I know you love me. I know you forgive me. I know you're never going to leave me. You're never going to forsake me. Now show me how to live. You see, this kind of patience and kindness is leading somewhere. When you and I are showing patience and kindness to somebody, there's a vision to it. It's not just an emptiness. I'm I'm doing because one day I want to hear them say, I understand now. 
There's a reason for it. When you are doing it for someone else's good, it becomes a lot easier. God did it for our good. This love has vision, and it leads others out of spiritual darkness. It leads others out of sin. It helps leads others out of immaturity. This church was so immature. But Paul was kind to them. Paul was patient with them. And Paul instructed them. And that's what we need to do. Love instructs. This kind of love is not being a doormat for others to step all over us. A lot of people believe that. Again, this kind of love is not a doormat for others just to step all over us. But I'll tell you something better. It's just another step closer to getting to God. When you're kind to someone who's wronged you, when you're patient to people who wrong you, when you continually show them love and kindness and compassion, that they're a step closer to coming to God. Today we're going to look at these other characteristics. The first two are positive. These next ones are negative, and we'll finish with a couple of positives. Paul says this, what love is not. Are we up there in verse 4? Verse 5? Verse 4 still? No? 1 Corinthians 13? or wrongful desire to have what somebody else possesses. You think about that. Maybe somebody else's beauty, someone else's figure, someone else's money, someone else's prestige, someone else's gifting. How people love other people. And you can be envious of a thousand and one different things, but love does not envy. This envy is a strong emotional desire not just to have what someone else has. You know what the ugly part of this is? It's to actually hate the person that has it. It's not so much, oh, I wish I had that, or you know something, that's a nice thing. But it's, it's also, it's all of a sudden have these ill feelings towards the possessor. This is more than just, oh, I wish I had that. No, 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 no. This is much uglier than just wishing you had something. The person who does not envy does not dislike another human being because they have something they don't. Or they have something they really wish they had. Or they try to get it. And they do everything they can. And they diet. And they run. And they exercise. But they cannot lose a pound. And then you got someone who just, you know, yeah, I didn't eat for two days and I lost 25 pounds. You know, and you're like, you got to be kidding me. I'm over here sweating. I'm doing everything I can to stay on the light side of heavy. And you just go to the gym for a week and you changed. Genuine love doesn't do that. When you have the love of God in you, you turn envy into admiration. You say, wow, that's wonderful that you can do that. What a blessing that it's so easy to you. I strive so hard, and I can't lose anything. And here you come, you change a couple things in your life, and you're a new person. Well, that's awesome. See, that's how you overcome envy. Admiration. You rejoice with someone else's joy. That's what he says. Love rejoices in someone else's well-being. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing. To be free of envy. To strive after that. And you're like, you know, praise God. Someone can walk in the gym and they don't have to be like me. I only use that as one example. The answer to this type of inattention is to look with admiration at another person's gifts, another person's talents, another person's beauty. And to realize this. 
a gift from God to that person. That's the way I look at everything. I don't care what anybody has. That's a gift from God. Even if they don't know Jesus, it makes no difference. God has blessed them with something. Praise God. He goes on to say this. Love does not boast. Now think about, I'm trying to give you a picture of a human being, of a person. It's really Jesus Christ. It's a composite sketch of Christ. But listen. This person is not caught up on themselves. Or their accomplishments. Or their position in life. Or their possessions. When you come into contact with this person... You hear about God. You hear about what God has done. They're more interested in you and not themselves. This is a person that rarely ever uses I or me. It's always how you doing. How's that situation going on in your life? Is everything going well? Is there anything I can do? Do you need help in anything? You don't know anything about them. This is the rich man. You have no idea they're rich. They don't flaunt it. They don't wear it. They don't speak about it. They don't point themselves in any way. The only genuine answer to this grandiose self-expression of boasting is to be humbled by what Jesus Christ has done at the cross for you. That is it. God is not impressed by anything you have or anything you think about yourself. The grandiose idea of self-expression leaves once you realize that we are nothing but garden variety sinners saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is it. That's all we are. When you know that... This person that does not boast anymore, does not boast in themselves and their accomplishments, all they can do is talk about how good God is. It's not envious. This kind of love, this kind of disposition of heart is not boastful and it's not arrogant. This is the person that looks down their noses at others. It is not so much what they themselves are. The arrogant is not about boasting. It's not so much about what they are. It's about what other people aren't. Look at them. Look at the way they dress. Look at, look at the way they eat. Look at the way they do this. They're uneducated. They're, you know, they're, just, they're, they're on welfare. They're, they're this. They don't try hard enough. They're not doing this. And... And you start to begin to look down on them. Like every conversation you had, you're looking down on someone. That's the act. Condescending in the way they look. Condescending in the way they talk. Condescending in their body language. How they just turn their backs towards people. Like nobody else matters in life but themselves. That's the act. See, this person seeks to help people. The person who's void of arrogance, who's void of envy, who's void of boasting, is the person that seeks to help other people to a higher place in life. They have time for other human beings. Not to keep them down with words of condescension. This person has no high opinion about themselves. So no matter where they are in life, they can meet all types of people in all types of position in life and be concerned for them. They can be concerned for the poor, the uneducated. Both the poor and the uneducated do not feel uncomfortable around this type of person. Are you with me? The person who is void of envy, the person who is void of boasting, the person who is void of arrogance, they, they wear a sign 
on their face. All are welcomed here. That's love. No clicks in this person's heart. This person is not a click here and doesn't know everybody else. This person is a human to everybody. Everybody is welcomed here. My heart is your heart. This is the person that's free of arrogance, boasting, and envy. The answer to this inner attitude, nobody has that in this room, right? Did you fail on the first one already? Envy? Or boasting? Or arrogant? You see, let me give you a little awareness of myself. I had no idea who Brian Martin was until I became a Christian. And the word of God opened me up like a can of worms. And all I could say is, oh God, how envious, how arrogant, how boastful, how brutal of a man I really am on the inside. See, the answer to this inner attitude is that all people are created in the image of God. Every human being is created in the image of God. And that is a gift from the Creator to all of us. And no one has anything above anybody else. No matter where you are, no matter what kind of people are around you, remember this. God has created them in His image and He loves them. Just as much as He loves you. Love is not rude. Remember, there's no sentimentalism here. There's no emotions. This is not about feelings. It's an act of the will. This kind of love, this kind of disposition God is talking about here in in 1 Corinthians, it's not rude. As I said about the arrogant, this is the person who knows how to wear a welcome sign on their face. And they're always aware that there are other people in the room... And that these other people in the room are part of the human race. And that these other people in the room who are part of the human race have feelings. And they shouldn't be insulted by a word, by a look. They're considerate to all people. You know, rude doesn't have to be a word. Rude could be a whole body language can say, you are not welcome near me. But this word has another connotation to it in the Greek. This word is used elsewhere in scripture. But it has the definition of indecency. And that's how some commentators define it. Love is not indecent whether in sexual context, it's not overly sensual. This is the person that's not overly sensual, trying to to seduce another person. Not inappropriate conversations and sexual innuendos and double entendres and, you know, know, this whole cat and mouse game that takes place in society today between men and women. It's just, no, there's no room for that. In the Christian life, listen, the Christian church, we're here to worship God, not to pick people up. This is about God. It's not about feasting your eyes on a woman or feasting your eyes on a man. That's rude. That's indecent. It's inappropriate action. You don't look that way. You don't sound that way. You don't dress that way. You don't come off that way. People are here to worship God, not to be distracted by your beauty or, or this or that. No, not at all. As Christians, we need to be careful. We need to be totally careful. When I found that out as a young Christian, all I could do is hide my face in shame and say, that's who I am. That's all I'm about. Flirting and this and that. It's brutal. Look, I got a wife that loves me. Let me tell you something. Praise the Lord, man. More important, I got a God that loves me. And He saved me. And He forgave me. 
in that disposition, but he changed me from the inside out. And how I know I was changing, do you now you know you're going to change? Do you want to change? When you hear the truth and the truth hurts, it's the beginning of change. Thank you, Jesus. Because your eyes are opened up and you're like, God, forgive me. Now let's get on with the program. Change me. I want to be this type of person. Their mannerisms are always proper. It has the sense of not just indecency or inappropriate, but a decorum, this, this proper mannerism, this professional attitude among women or men at all times. You carry yourself in a professional manner. Your words don't insult. Your eyes don't insult. Your mannerisms don't insult. Professional at all times. The answer to this inner attitude of rudeness and indecency is to always carry in yourself this professional manner in word, in attire, in body language. These virtues we're talking about, they're lost in the world today. They're totally gone. These virtues have been replaced by sensuality, sexuality, Coarse joking, mm-hmm. a low view of sex as some kind of personal entertainment, and it's not sacred. God created sex for the well-being of humanity and procreation, and to bring a certain quality of love between the husband and a wife. Something special. Something sacred. Yes. Something you keep in the bedroom. Something you cherish. Something you desire and something you express. It's another way of saying I love you and I can trust you with my whole body. A cheap entertainment, tossing it around. There's no modesty in this world anymore. At all. This kind of love does not seek its own. Here's a person that's quiet. Does not have to have the last word. Here's a person that seeks to be a team player and considers, genuinely considers, the opinions of others. Like, what they say is valuable. I want to listen to what they have to say. Maybe they don't sound like me. Maybe they didn't go to the same school as me. Maybe, maybe not as classy as I am, but they're human beings and they too possess the spirit of God. Maybe they know something I don't know. I'm not going to seek to have my own way. This is the person that doesn't force themselves on others or their opinions on others, but they're quiet in disposition. They listen to other people. They're concerned what other people have to say. The answer to this inner attitude, I know nobody else that here, we're free from all these things, aren't we? The answer to this inner attitude is to know that God often uses the counsel of other people, and sometimes even the consensus, to bring about the solutions to life's problems. Nobody has all the answers. Let me, let me tell you right now, i got to tell you right now, there are some things that go right through me, and i got to really pray when I'm with the know-it-all. I'm like, the know-it-all. Do you know any know-it-alls? They know it all. (laughs) Everything. They know two verses of scripture and they're going to lecture me on Jesus Christ. They've never been to a church. They've never read the Bible. They don't know what it is to pick up a cross. They don't know what it is to die to their own passions. But yet they have an answer for everything. I was that person. You might never picked up on, but in my heart, I was that person. Matter of fact, I was the boastful person, the envious person, the rude person, the indecent person, sort his own way person, the know-it-all person. To one degree or another, it was all me. Love is not irritable. This is the person who is in control of their emotions at all times. 
Think about how life would be if you were in control of your emotions at all times. No bad hair days. Just really in control of your emotions at all times. They're not easily upset over trivial matters. They're not drama kings and drama queens. Oh, I gotta tell you the latest thing in my life type of thing. They don't take life so seriously or take other person's insults personally. They're not super sensitive. These are low maintenance human beings who are very secure in the love of God. That's why. The love of God is changing from the inside of being turmoiled on the inside, irritable at anything that moves. Because they're grounded in the security that comes from God's love for them. They are not caught up in the opinions of other people, what people think about them. They don't care what people think about them. They don't care what people say about them. They don't care what Satan can say. They don't care what the past can say. They don't care. They're so absorbed that God loves me and I'm going to heaven one day and God will never leave me. He'll never forsake me. That You can say anything you want about me. Guess what? I just don't. The only thing that counts to this person that's not hearable is God's opinion of them. Period. And they still stay kind and they still stay patient with the worst of people. This kind of Christian woman, this kind of Christian man is neither resentful, or I should say not resentful, This person is not easily insulted, does not think everyone owes them an apology, can move past minor infractions that occur naturally in all interpersonal relationships of life. This person holds no grudges. Life is too short and people are too important to burn relational bridges. I see people go through friends like nothing. No, I should say this. I know many people that have no friends. I have no friends. They're not invited anywhere. If they're invited, they're never invited back. They get one invitation and they're never invited back. They're... <laughs> they're just high-maintenance human beings. It's just like, man, this is rough, man. This, is, this, one's, this one's dragging me down all the time. They can't do anything. They're filled with grudges and resentments and they're angry and they're resentful and they're irritated about everything. Life stinks all the time. They're pessimistic all the time. There's nothing good in life. They, God might hear them. God, it, It's one thing after the other. Not so with the Christian. We can come like that, holding grudges, vengeful, malicious and slanderous. But when God gets into your heart, you realize, you know something? The only person you're hurting is guess who? Hurt ourselves. The answer to this inner attitude is to realize as Christians, we once offended God in a sinful, selfish lifestyle that God chooses to remember no more. God chooses not to remember. Don't think God forgot. Oh, God forgets our sins. He throws them as far as the east is from the west. He takes our sins and he throws them into the sea of forgetfulness. We know that. But do you know why he does that? He chooses not to hold a grudge. Are you ready? Do you know as a Christian, you have no right to be irritable. You have no right to be upset. You have no right to be resentful. You have no right to hold a grudge. Understand something. This is God's world. It's God's kingdom. And guess what? God has all the rights. We live in a day and age, oh, my rights, Ma, I'm offended, my feelings are offended, everybody's offended, everybody's looking for a safe place, everybody's looking to hide from the bad people, microaggressions are all on the rise down, everybody's, I can't hear you! You're not going to make it in this world. And Paul is talking about the church. This is all in the church context. This is how we are to get along with one another. Person sitting in my seat again. I heard that. I heard that. Pastor, they're sitting in my seat. I know they're doing it on purpose. What do I say to that? I 
all right, let's pray, sister. What can I tell you? There's nothing much I can do for you. Okay, let's move on. This kind of person that's filled with the love of God, who's mature in faith, who's mature in faith, who's mature in faith, does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. We have a positive and negative description of love. And it greatly contrasts with what the world says. Listen. We live in a world that's pointing something off as love, that it's not love. This person loves God so much. This person loves others so much. They will not turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to sinful wrongdoing. Are you with me? No. You were looking at a man in my family. We've lost family members. Family members won't talk to us anymore because we do not rejoice in wrongdoing. What you're doing, we have to tell them, is wrong. In the eyes of God, it's wrong. I love you, and I love you so much. I'm willing to end my relationship with you because I have to tell you your lifestyle and your way of approaching life and God is wrong. God can never bless you. I can't rejoice in this. I can't celebrate it with you. It's just downright wrong. And I love you, so I cannot rejoice in your choices, son. I cannot rejoice in your choices, daughter. I can't rejoice in it. You're outside the will of God. You're not going to go to heaven. God can never accept you when you live like this and you talk like this and you act like this. I can't rejoice. I can't celebrate. But the same person rejoices when they see someone else making the right choices for God. As a pastor, I am so blessed. Yes. When I see someone here and I see yes. someone and they're starting to make the right choices Amen. for God. Right. And they're starting to turn up. They're starting up. Their eyes are starting to open up and they're saying, yes. Pastor, I got this in my life. Would you pray for me? I'm doing this. I, I want forgiveness. I don't want to do this anymore. And all of a sudden you're like, praise God. You're rejoicing. You're rejoicing with somebody else who's making. They're rejoicing in the truth. Jesus said this, Pastor John spoke about it a couple weeks ago. A woman came to Jesus and said, Blessed is the womb that birthed you. He goes, No, no, no. On the contrary, who's my mother? Who's my brother? And who's my sisters? Those who do the will of my Father in heaven. I rejoice with them because they're rejoicing in the truth. If my own brother's not rejoicing in the truth and he's not living the truth, I can't rejoice even with my own sibling. I had a brother, passed away. Struggling in life with drugs. Came out of jail. Got him into a Christian rehab. Came out of the Christian rehab. I had nowhere to live. He came and lived with me and my wife. My wife was kind enough to open up the door. And we tried to make it work, but it wouldn't work. And so one day I had to say, listen, I love you so much that I have to ask you to leave the house, give me the keys, and never, ever come here again. Never call me. Never ask me for anything. You are cut off because I love you so much. I want nothing to do with you no more until you want help. When you want help, I'll do anything for you. Yes. I could not rejoice in it anymore. Unfortunately, he didn't take my advice. Okay. Paul now sums up much of what has been said already. He says, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It bears all things. What it means by this, whatever slander, whatever malice, whatever sins, someone else, another human being throws at you, this person remains standing and is still concerned for the welfare of that other person. He bears all things, all the pressure. Everything you can throw at me, I will not turn my back on you. You're part of the human race. No matter what my brother would have done, no matter what he did to me and my wife, I was still there for him if he 
wanted that help. It also could mean this. It could mean cover. Bear could actually mean cover. We, love, we know that love covers a multitude of sin. This is a person, listen. This is a person that's so filled with the love of God that he's not running around broadcasting someone else's sins, someone else's failures. Do you know what happened? Do you know what this person did? Do you know their background? No, no, no. The great divine ends with this person. When someone comes and tells this person, let me tell you about someone. This person says, no, you go tell that person. Don't tell me. I don't need to know. I love that person. It also believes all things. This person is so filled with the love of God that they'll believe no matter what things look like, no matter what things sound like, no matter how bad life looks like it's going, this person will believe that all things work together for good for those who trust and love in the Lord. No matter what's going on in this person's life, they're going to be like, no, my God won't let me down. He won't let me down. He won't let me down. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. I don't care if it's a year. I don't care if it's a decade. I don't care if it's five decades. God will not disappoint me. His promises are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. I believe in his son. Now God will pull through for me no matter what is taking place. This is the person that believes all things will work together for good in this world and the next. This is the person that hopes all things. Hope is seen here as a joyful disposition in all circumstances of life. Even in the tearful, heartbreaking circumstances of life, this person still remains hopeful and says, No, I will not turn my back on God. I will never forsake he'll, he'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. I won't turn my back on God. Life looks terrible. Life looks dim. Life looks dark. The future looks bleak. But I'm going to remain hopeful and I'm going to remain joyful. For if God said He so loved me, I will not give in an inch. That's the love of God. So much so that that man hung on the cross suffocating under his own blood and his own body weight and at the end he said, God I still commit my spirit unto you. To the end, Jesus Christ believed all things hoped all things and he endured all things to endure all things is like to bear all things the difference is whatever life throws at this person they endure it patiently knowing that God is in control of the good and the bad you going through some bad times honestly look at me you going through some bad times I'm here to tell you that God is in control of that bad time. Do you believe it? Yes. Amen. Will that pull you through? Yes. Will that alone pull you through? Knowing that God is in full control of that bad thing. As a matter of fact, that bad thing can't come near you unless God allows it to come near you. And that's why Paul can say this kind of love, it never fails. Verse 8, this love never fails. How can it fail? It bears all things. It hopes all things. It believes through all things. It endures all things. This kind of love never fails. This kind of love, this kind of Christian that Paul just wrote about, this person never fails to successfully portray God to other people. Right at the moment of his crucifixion, Jesus held out bread of forgiveness to Judas. Fully aware he was going to sell him for 30 pieces of silver. But he still portrayed God to him. What we have here, this is a mature Christian. Remember what I said last week? Please don't look at this and say, I can never do this. 
the closer you get to Christ, and the longer you walk with Him, and the longer you trust in Him, and the Word of God gets in you, guess what? You start to change, little by little by little. This is a composite sketch of Jesus Christ and how we lived on earth. Let me close with this. Paul says, everything will pass away. All gifts will pass away. All talents, all beauty will pass away. Youth will pass away. All our accomplishments will pass away. You can't take our money. You can't take your portfolio. You can't take anything with you. You can take absolutely nothing. The Bible says when you die, everything dies with you. The only thing you and I can take forever is love. That's it. The only thing we can take to the other side. And even there, God will perfect it. Father, help us in our walk of love. I ask you to bless all of us, God. As your word is a mirror to our soul. Help us, oh God, to overcome envy and boasting and arrogance. And forgive us of our rudeness, God. Forgive us of being so irritable. Forgive us, Father God, of you know, holding resentment and, and holding grudges, God. Help us to overcome these things, Father. Free us from all the noise in our mind that competes with love, Father God. Help us, Father God, to be that solid and steady Christian man and Christian woman where love never fails and you can use us in other people's lives, Father God. Help us, Father God, as Paul says, let us put our childish, boastful, arrogant, rude, envious ways behind us and let us mature to a full man and full woman, statue of Jesus Christ. In his name I pray.